Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. Welcome back to this 40 Minute Mentor special. Before we wrap up for the year, we thought we'd share some of our favorite parts from Series 6 with you. And this episode focuses on a topic we get asked about a lot at JBM, all things fundraising and VC. In this episode, you'll hear from a whole host of guests from Series 6, including Cleo Sham, the JBM SOS Board Advisor and Partner at Stride VC, Daisy Onabogu, widely regarded as the Queen of Community and Head of Networking Community at Backed VC, Dominic McGregor, founder and former COO of Social Chain, which he scaled with Stephen Bartlett to IPO. He's recently launched a new venture called Fearless Adventures. We've also got Ham Serenjoji, the co-founder and CEO of the double unicorn Chippecash, our brilliant sponsors for Series 6. Tom Foster Carter, the former COO of Monzo and founder and CEO of Lollipop, which has been tipped to become the Monzo of supermarkets. And finally, Ben Stevenson, CEO and founder of the groundbreaking travel and hospitality platform Impala. Ben has raised millions in funding over the last five years from top VCs like Stride, Speed Invest, Kima Ventures, Legstar and Latitude, amongst others. I hope this inspiring combination of investors and founders who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars in funding between them will provide some fascinating insights. So if you're a founder in fundraising mode, make sure you have a pen so you can scribble down some notes. This episode is packed full of great advice. So with all that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this special fundraising VC roundup episode of 40 Minute Mentor. To kick this episode off, we hear from two incredible leaders within VC, Cleo Sham and Daisy Onabogu. They share how they got into VC and what attracted them to an industry that has historically struggled with hiring diverse talent. It wasn't an obvious choice and it wasn't something I always aspired to do. But again, you know, looking at back at my career and how, how the decisions were made over time, I think understanding yourself is the piece that came first. So first, I always loved investing. At first with stocks, you know, in my teenage years, I, I read a lot of books by value investors like Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, Joel Greenblatt. And then started, you know, investing in stocks and, and I started the investment club at uni. So I knew that I really liked uh, investing, but it was in stocks. And I, I did a stint in, at the prop desk at Merrill Lynch, which was the bank's internal hedge fund uh, early in my career. And so I also, at the same time, really liked building, right? So I started three companies earlier in my career, really loved operating at Uber and also at Spot Home. And then during that period, I was exposed to startups and, and started angel investing. It almost felt like something that I just needed to do. That was about five years ago when I started building my, my angel portfolio. And after investing in about 60 companies personally and spending more time with founders, I realized VC could potentially be a great way to combine you know, my two passions of building companies and also investing. So that was really what led me to think about VC. And, and angel investing was a way to test it out, at least test out whether I, I would enjoy it or not. 
and I've always felt like it would be it'd be very challenging and, and a great way to learn. So there wasn't really a right time. I thought about it, you know, a couple of years ago as well, but in the end, just followed my gut in making this last decision. I think I wasn't attracted to the industry as a whole. I'm not going to lie. I think there are lots of people who know me who find it almost ironic that I'm working in something with capital embedded in the name. I had a conversation with someone where I was saying, I'm kind of like, I don't like this industry, but I also want something stable that pays well and feels like it has an outsized reach and impact on people. But I don't like the idea of sort of being part of the problem as I see it. And she pointed out how very many funds were thinking differently, we're operating differently, we're at least trying to ask the questions that I seem to be plagued with. That was one of a few that came up in that conversation. And then while I was creeping around on their website and then on the partners, Facebooks, et cetera, I found a job ad for like Scoutly, I think whatever it was, I, can't, I think it was just head of scouts or head of scouting, which was just the right kind of vagueness. They made it clear that they weren't really sure what the role was going to be or what it was going to entail. And I was like, amazing, blank canvas. And it says all the right things. It was like it'd been written for me. They were like, oh, you're really good with people and you really like design and problem solving, but also social, but also process. But also it was this really kind of contradictory mash, seemingly contradictory mash of things that I think very few people have done, but a certain type of person will be drawn to. I suspect if I met everyone who interviewed for that role, we'd all be friends. And so that was kind of in a nutshell what pulled me in. And then when I met them for the interview, I just fell in love with the culture and the team. And it was the first time I'd been surrounded by people who seemed to be simultaneously really, really kind and really nice, but then also brilliant. We now hear why of all the VC firms out there, Cleo decided to join Stride VC who have backed unicorns like Kazoo. And she explains what makes them different. What's special about Stride and what attracted me to the role is, is really that it's born out of a appreciation for operations and products. So there's a real operator mindset at Stride where we seek to be the operating partner of founders. And there's a real focus on the actual company building. That includes spending a lot of time on recruitment, helping to find and close great candidates, and also strategy with founders who are about to make what we call the 10x decisions, like the really big, important strategic decisions that you make in the early days of a company. We also believe in the primacy of product and the power of great design and, and the ability of you know, that to transform the user experience. And, and these are all sort of things that I agree with personally. And then... Most importantly, I think there's a genuine intent in supporting founders. Uh, we think that you know the job is a privilege and that we need to earn our seat at the table. And we appreciate how hard it is to build a company, which, again, is something I'm very much personally aligned with, having tried to build companies myself. And as I mentioned before, we're non-thematic. We believe that you know, it's important to have mental plasticity and adaptability and being open to opportunities in non-obvious spaces. I think it's it's difficult because... Um, Sometimes, you know, the opportunities are, are vast, right? And there's such a variety of things that, that we look at day to day. But we try to come in with, you know, with an open mind and positive ignorance and assess opportunities from scratch and with a blank slate as much as we can and, and really go off of first principles. Dominic McGregor has gone from sitting on the founder's side and raising capital from top tier VCs to becoming an investor himself. In this next clip, we hear about Dominic's new firm, Fearless Adventures. He shares what inspired him to set up the fund and what the future holds for him and the Fearless team as they look to disrupt the traditional VC model. 
I've raised money for social change, but we never raised smart money. We always raised, you know, money, which was just money. And that led me a lot of the reasons to make decisions that were wrong and make mistakes, which led to my drinking and my personal downfall. And that's kind of the point where I realized, you know, now people talk about capital being readily available. And it's true, you know, if you've got a good idea, you can raise money for it. But what is limiting is, is support for, for founders. So myself and two of the entrepreneurs got together to raise money from six other entrepreneurs. So there's a total of nine entrepreneurs on the table who are investing into entrepreneurs who are scaling their business. And the second part of that is the support. What does the support look like? Obviously, you've got mentorship from entrepreneurs, but then you actually hard services, marketing, recruitment, finance, logistics. All these two businesses in that space are having similar problems. How can we help them with those problems and help them from a centralized team tap into resources that they wouldn't be able to get and then therefore help them grow? So that's where it's come from. Yeah, as you mentioned, I went straight back into it because I was 27 leaving social I've got a long life ahead of me. I need something to do. This is a business which I feel is going to be around for a very long time. I see it as a platform to support entrepreneurs. We're going to raise an even bigger fund next year and then probably an even bigger fund after that. As we heard earlier, Daisy on a bogey wasn't completely sold on VC as an industry, which is even more of a compliment to the team at Back to VC, who managed to change Daisy's perspective so much so that she's now part of the driving force of changing the VC industry. I wouldn't say that Back to VC has an answer necessarily to solving for any or even most of the problems that I you know, am kept up at night by, but I think what there is is a huge amount of wiggle room because everybody seems to be similarly plagued. I think everyone's just one little halfway house of like really stressed neurotic millennials who aren't entirely sure about how to compute both, you know, rise to the top of ambition as we've all been raised to do, but then also apparently make the world a better place, but also apparently have some sort of outside legacy impact. But also, and, and I think if nothing else, something about that collective stress means one, there is room to sort of say, what is it to be a fund? What are the types of things we should be invested in? How do you sort of respond to a thing and then force everything else to bend around it rather than say, this is the form. So there's less commitment to the form, I guess, of what a fund is or what a fund does, even though I wouldn't say in any way that it would raise its hands up and say that it is an impact investor or that it is a social good company. And yet something about that stress that is personal, then becoming collective means that we end up being able, I just end up being able to bring far more of myself and frankly, my angst than I've ever been able to bring to any company to there and haven't met with like similar feeling as opposed to either rejection or like told to put that aside or told that that doesn't matter. And I think that's translated to at least interesting experiments in terms of how far we want to push, you know, what it means to be supportive of a founder, how far we want to push what it means to be interested in a founder as a human being and say that we are human centric first and foremost and how we do things. If that contradicts, what do you do? How do you wrestle with that contradiction? And it's not to know the answer, but it's to be willing for that to engage. In this latest series, we didn't just hear from the movers and shakers within BC, but we also got to hear firsthand insights into very impressive fundraising rounds. A great example of this is Ham Serenjoji, the founder and CEO of our series sponsors, Chipper Cash. The team have raised over $300 million in funding over six rounds. Here's how. I do acknowledge that we've been able to raise a considerable amount of money, but I think 
what's most important, and I, I hope what doesn't get lost in, in, in the whole narrative, is that in my experience, more than anything, I think perseverance is probably what counts the most. You know, the stories about how much money we've raised are very well told. You know, you can Google that and, and see, you know, 100 million here and 30 million there, whatever. But I think what the story that isn't told is the considerable walls that I run into and the number of rejections that I got, you know, very early on trying to raise money for the company. And I think every founder can relate to that, especially in the very early days of the company. But particularly for us, you know, Major and I are two, you know, when we started the company, we're two 24-year-old first-time African founders in Silicon Valley trying to raise money. We had no, no track record of sort of, you know, ever starting a company anywhere. You know, we're young, we just out of college. Being in that sort of situation isn't the most optimal for, for raising money. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the odds are stacked against you there, aren't they? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's many other ways you can, you, you can be better positioned to raise money than that. And, you know, obviously I was naive when it started because I thought it would be straightforward. And, and I run into very many walls and rejections and some were less kind than others. And, you know, it, it took a toll on me and how difficult that process was. But the fact that we just stuck through it and kept going, uh, I think more than anything is what has sort of allowed us to get to this point. You know, we believed deeply in what we wanted to do. So we were sort of going to do it no matter what. I was talking to a friend who will remain unnamed at this point, uh, but I was talking to a friend the other day and they were saying, you know, you guys are like cockroaches, you know, you just don't die. <laughs> and uh, and in, in many ways, that's kind of true, right? It's like we were so, so committed to doing this thing and seeing it through that it was going to take almost, you know, the world ending for us to give up. And in that perseverance and in that stubbornness and that relentlessness to, to give in was sort of what allowed us to see the light. And by light, I mean eventually get to a point where we had investors that looked at the company seriously and wanted to invest in it. Getting that first yes, then, you know, being able to scale the company to the next stage and the stage after that and to where we are today, that's very important. As in every 40-Minute Mentor series, Series 6 has been filled with invaluable advice from industry leaders. In this next collection of clips, you'll hear from Tom Foster Carter, Cleo Sham, Ben Stevenson, and Dominic McGregor, all sharing their top fundraising advice for any founders looking to raise capital. First thing that I'd recommend is uh, Tom Bonfield has done a blog post on fundraising, and it's unbelievably good he's kind of brilliantly insightful and it's full of stuff that i was like good grief i made you know, pretty much all of those mistakes and this was like my fourth startup so the couple of things that uh that i i certainly learned if i if i think about this one i lost time looking for a, a big pre-seed and meanwhile sort of trying to really nail down the proposition and um having answers to all the questions and that was really silly i if i could go back i would say just take a little bit of money just enough so you can kind of get going and bring somebody else on really quickly. It just doesn't matter if you know somebody who's, who's aligned and excited about this sort of vague general direction. It doesn't matter if you don't really know what you're going to do because you'll just get there so much faster. But I put all the pressure on myself and really wanted to, to raise a million quid pre-seed and, you know, and I kind of got there, but it took uh, all, all year and had to, you know, I lost time. That, that just wasn't efficient. 
And so um, that's that's kind of a, a piece of advice, num- number one. I think piece of advice number two is just know actually what you need money for. And if you don't need it, maybe don't worry too much about the, the fundraising element. You might find you could do some stuff just for, for free, especially if you're working with somebody who's already in a job and you could just get going with them side of desk and, and so on. Like, I think you can get a long way without even taking any money, but still getting other people involved. So those are kind of the, the two pieces now, looking back on it. Um, I, I wish that I'd, I'd done a bit different. I, I really just like to have a very human and casual you know, conversation and not be overly formal and be able to dynamically just, just you know, have, a, have a good discussion about the business and also hear the story of the founder. So understanding you know, why the founder cares about this problem, what is his or her personal story and what led them to do this is always really interesting and, and important. So personal motivation, right? And then be able to explain the business in a very simple language. Like imagine explaining the business to your grandmother and is it easy for somebody to understand how it would work? And then the important part I guess for an investor is just understanding how the business would get really big, right? And how and why do you think this is going to get big and why now? And then I guess advice in general would be just being careful and being a bit more strategic in choosing which funds you, you want to talk to and work with. Sometimes, you know, there's funds also proactively reach out to founders and it's, and especially if they've heard good things about you or your company. So you could be flooded by inbounds, right? And in those moments, it's easy to be reactive. Then it's a good problem to have, obviously. But being strategic about like how you select the fund that you work with and the partner of the fund that you want to work with is important because it's going to be a multi-year partnership and, and journey, almost like a marriage, right? So being careful about who you choose to put on your cap table and, and who you want to work with is, is important. So on that point, getting founder references is something I would always advise founders to do. So speak with a couple of founders that this fund has backed to understand, you know, whether they are delivering the value that they promise and uh, what are they like as partners and what can you really get from working with a fund. And so before you take money, I always advise getting references from founders in the portfolio. When I was before fundraising and people were like, oh, you've got to make sure you choose your investors wisely. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's just something that people that are in a great position of having lots of investors say, right? Like, great, right? Let me tell you, like, fuck that, like, do that, right? Go and make sure that you, like, you know, go and speak to the best, inv- you know, local Globe and Stride and these great funds that, ha- and there are others available, right? But like these, these great funds that like are founder friendly because there will be times, I promise you, there are times, there have been times where I have been so, so thankful that, that sort of Fred Destan is on my board, you know, and, and I would, would recommend doing that. I think the landscape in the moment for funding is a bit of a strange one. You know, it's there's a lot of people are going to the platforms like Seeded and Crowdcube because it's easy capital. A couple of people have got one or two high net worths funding them. But there's nothing really where, unlike venture for tech, where there's institutes set up to be able to like, okay, we specifically look at these businesses. So I think we're filling a bit of a funding gap because we're looking at businesses which are scaling, which are growing, who are maybe tried stock financing, which would maybe try a bit of debt, but like an equity investment and having people around the table, it definitely creates different opportunities. You know, for example, like Gymshark, Gymshark was self-funded for a very long time, which is a fantastic achievement. I think in DTT space, you can be self-funded, but our kind of conversations with founders is, do we think we can get you there two years quicker 
if we take on investment now. And finally, if you're thinking about a career move into VC, Daisy Onobogu and Cleo Sham share their top advice for getting into the industry. I think it's tough and it is changing slowly with, you know, things like what diversity is doing with future VC and internship programs like that. And also, you know, similar other programs, like I think the Newton program that Local Globe is doing, but creating more sort of structural entry ways for people to get into VC will help and will continue to. So definitely keeping an eye on those or searching for anything that might exist within that. But in terms of the individual, VC values sort of only one thing above and beyond all else, it's access. The reason VC is able to command such high management fees is that there is opacity in the market. It's hard to know what is good, when it's good, and then how to find it. And even if you find it, how do you get into it? So constantly thinking about how to show yourself as a person who can deliver value in that regard is huge. Is there some particular insight that is there some knowledge base that you have that few others might have because you studied materials and you're really interested in the like, I don't know, polymer carbons that go into that, or you're really interested in the environment, or you're really interested in X or Y, or you have access to a particular geography because you're from there or something. Is there some way in which you can develop your network of founders or your access or just use your insight and be able to show to a founder or to a fund that you can do this by, for instance, sending them deals. Nothing above and beyond gets a VC attention than an email being like, hey, I thought this might be interesting ones for you. They'll click through it because they're not even sure who that is. And they're like, this probably is someone that I'm deeply close with. And I've just forgotten their names because that's how interchangeable relationships can be in this industry. But they'll click through. And if they see that those deals are interesting, they'll engage. So Honing your ability to do the thing that VC ultimately cares about above and beyond anything else is probably the best possible advice I can give you. If you're looking to be an operator, try and start something. And if you're interested in VC, then start angel investing, even if it's small checks. And in general, again, with the VC community, don't hesitate in trying to reach out to people because people are more welcoming and generous than, than you think. There you have it, a 40-minute mental episode filled to the brim with advice and insights on fundraising and VC. I really hope you enjoyed it, and if any of the clips have caught your attention, please make sure you check out the full 40 minutes with each of our guests in this roundup. Likewise, if you're left with any questions unanswered, or if you have any ideas to make 40-minute mental even better, please do get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. I love to hear from all our listeners. Ahead of our Series 7 launch, we'll be back with another 40-Minute Mentor special in January. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Until then, enjoy the holiday season, and I wish you and your loved ones all the very best for 2022. And thanks again for all your support. <music>